0: Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1987, four childhood friends were reunited after 10 years to investigate the murder of a mentor they all shared. During this time, they unlocked the deep secrets of the past and found themselves exposed to the darkness that surrounded them. Soon it became more than a fight for justice and instead it became a fight against the ultimate evil. Six months later, in the winter of 1988, bonded by their knowledge of the dark unknown they have decided to no longer be the victim. Now they seek out the deep roots of satanic corruption that hides in the shadows of society, all the while trying to mentor a new companion seeking justice for the death of his cousin. institutionalized is the second story arc in the Chronicles of Darkness first edition story, The Ultimate Evil, set in Bismarck, North Dakota in 1988. Join us in this tale of satanic horror with Wayne, played by Adam, Che, played by Andrew, Alex, played by Mitch, Michael, played by Slavic, and the newcomer Derek, played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM, and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Shay, it has been three months since you went and took the test for your private investigator license. It's been a total of six months since the events that occurred that shook your foundation. When you went to take that test for your private investigator license, along with Wayne, Alex, and Mike, you'd studied. Mike had kind of guided you and the other two through testing, through practicing. But when you were handed your test packet and you opened it up, you saw already the answers had been selected for you. And you saw that the lady who handed it to you kind of gave you this knowingly smile. Back when that occurred, that did not make you happy. Because as you said previously before, you're a man who works hard for what he wants and wants to earn what he has, which is understandable. But in those three months since you took that test, you all together had took the money that you received from the investigator Terry Murphy. And you all started a business, a private investigative Business called Dakota Investigative Services, where you four had worked together. Now, before I ask you what you have done in the last three months since then, what you guys have pretty much worked on with your new business are common cases such as infidelity, trying to find spouses who maybe ran off, nothing too serious. So you've had time to kind of focus on yourself in the last three months. What has Che done? With the money that he earned from Terry Murphy and the pay that he has earned from his new business venture, what what has he done in the last three months?
1: Che quit his job, right? No more jan- janitoring. He wasn't uh it wasn't something he wanted to do anyway, you know. He purchased a very small, like um a small home, you know, like a cabin almost, just kind of out in the uh, Lakota territory. And uh, he's been kind of just living on his own, you know, just uh, like it doesn't have it doesn't have electricity except through, you know, a generator. It's not it's it's not squalid, but it's not like glamorous by any means. And so, you know, he chops wood and, and has a fireplace that he keeps warm at and just like just lives out here kind of like a frontiersman almost, you know, and just gives him some solitude, very much needed solitude. Um, he doesn't mind other people, but uh, it's like an escape for him to to just go home and not be bothered and know that if he wanted to, he could just spend the next couple of days just away from all people.
0: Is that kind of how he has been processing what he saw six months ago? Does he think about that anymore and does he kind of just block it off or how has he been handling the events that occurred back then?
1: That's yeah, that's his that's his coping mechanism here, but um, it's left him. Um, just angry. And another another thing he's done as sort of like uh trying to find some sort of like direction. Whenever when like with these with these cases with the um with the private investigation firm, he um he, he volunteers every time to be the to be the guy who's like shadowing people and snapping the pictures and just kinda staying back and watching and observing, oh yeah, caught this dude cheating, snaps some pictures. But it's he's he's taken it maybe a little step further than that, in that this Meredith woman, maybe sometimes he follows her just just to see, like, you know, he 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 is very suspicious. You know, he thinks something is wrong that she's clearly like one of these things, even if there is no sign of that. You know, he would have been he would have been just every now and then, like, he'll like, oh, you know, it's a day off. Like, maybe 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 I can I can wait to uh, pick up some supplies and I'll actually spend this day following and snapping pictures and seeing where she's going, who she's talking to and meeting with and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, because that makes sense, because she is really the only direct correlation thing that exists that is tied or has been tied to Calvin Welkstetter. You know, like she's the only representation of the horror that you guys saw. Now, is she connected or not? That has yet to be seen. But you, even if he saw something, he wouldn't even know what to do with that. You know, he's he's not
1: really sure exactly why he's doing it. It's just this like like he's suspicious and he's just like, get, like waiting for that. Aha, gotcha kind of moment, which may or may not ever come.
0: Yeah, and I feel in a way, not that he's doing it. I don't feel his actions are sad. I feel that he's doing the reason why he's doing it is sad. Does that make sense? I feel like he is trying to. Like you said, he doesn't know what he would see. He wouldn't he doesn't even know what he would do with if he saw something, but it's just like this la it's like a, almost a desperate, desperate attempt to be in control. You know, to be to, to a little bit to be witness and to understand. It's almost like a man who is lost in a way, not saying that Che's lost, but the fact that he's just fu- silently following this woman. And he doesn't know why and he doesn't know what he would do if he saw anything. But it's like just this desperation to to somehow get an answer, because really, there are no answers for what you guys witnessed. There isn't. There's no rational, explanated answers that can be explained as of now that you have found out as to why that happened. That's just the facts of the matter right now. And you guys witnessed this dramatic event and now are just left on your own. So I find that I can see very, a lot of scenes where Che's slowly like just watching her go about her business, seeing her interactions with like some government officials or nice dinners or lunches or just seeing her go about her way and just feeling, I don't know, it's melancholy, I'm sure. Does he feel a sense of melancholy at times when he does watch her? I know he's angry and I understand that anger that he feels at the time, but when he watches her and he spends those countless long hours just in his Jeep doing that, like what, what does he feel when, when that's happening?
2: I don't
1: know. I wouldn't describe it as melancholy Mm. just because he's, he's driven by this, this just anger. Mm. And right now, like it's, he's putting the blame on her, you know, Mm. because like, oh, well, you know, it's your fault because you didn't do anything. You didn't say anything. You didn't speak up. You just let things happen. So this is your fault. And so he's just waiting. He's like, he's, he's patient, Mm. you know, he's, his, his way of, uh, of, acting here is just to wait and wait for her like her to fuck up is how he sees it you know and so it's it's kind of like his whole um his whole way of uh life is just kind of he he takes it he's a survivor you know
0: he's consumed yeah yeah he's
1: he's just pushing through patiently waiting for you know the ball to drop
0: oh no uh, okay i understand now so it's that i can see that you know, the intensity that that consumes him while he does it's that build that fuels that patience, almost like he's hunting, like he's stalking, like you said, and not in a creepy weirdo kind of way, but more in a predator prey kind of way, just waiting for her one slip up. I get that. Now, as a witness to this, I find it sad in a way, because I understand this is a man trying to grasp and trying to get answers, you know, to something that he can't explain. So thank you for that insight that that actually helps me out a lot. Now, where Che stays at is on the standing rock reservation that's where he purchased his cabin at standing rock reservation is almost like a territory in a way that's south of bismarck and the dakotas and it was given uh, given to the native americans back in the 19th century there's different towns that are within the standing rock reservation and the town that che lives in is in fort yates that's where he has this cabin. That is kind of like he said, secluded. Has this generator? Kind of has some trees by there, and it's definitely not in a neighborhood whatsoever. Fort Yates has a very small population that shrunk a lot during the seventies, and it's mainly known for having a water treatment plant for the Standing Rock Reservation that is in there. So there's some people who live in that area who work in the water treatment plant. But like like Che has said, and like I am reaffirming, it's it's kind of sparse. It's not really overly crowded now. Che's grandfather, his house, where the scene, the sweat lodge scene occurred, and Remembrance is also in Fort Yates. That's his father's owned this house since World War II, since he came back from the Pacific and bought it with his VA loan. His fa- his grandfather actually runs like a counseling business out of the out of his home. He has like an office in there. If you go back to Remembrance, you'll remember hearing Brian Eagle talk about how Che's grandfather was working with him. To work on his anger issues that he had now he mixes it with kind of traditional counseling aspect but also like he did with the sweat lodge with you all ties in like native aspects to it where to, to kind of have like a holistic approach for it which he basically uses it as a way to try to have a positive positive input into the community there at standing rock and also the people outside of standing rock that he may know so che you're sitting on this green hill the sun is out and you see down below you these hills that keep rolling. There's a wild green grass that sways in the wind about a foot and a half in length. And you look down, you see that you're sitting on this blanket. You can see your pants, that you have some jeans, some work boots, and you could feel the warmth of the sun on you. And as you're looking down these hills that are below you, you see a figure that is walking up. It's a silhouette of a female. You see she has this bright yellow dress on and the wind is blowing her hair gently behind her. She's a native and you slowly start remembering her and realizing that she's walking up. You recognize her to be Christina Eagle. This was the woman who was murdered back in 1977, who you had dreams of before and had visions of before. And you see that there's a smile on her face as she gets to the hill that you are at, as she starts walking up it. And you see she's coming up upon the crest of the hill to where you are face to face. And you try to look up at her while you're sitting. And you find it's hard to make out her features because you see the brightness of the sun is glaring behind her. And you feel this little sense of desperation because you just want to see her face clearly now that she's just close to you.
1: I don't know. I don't know that Che would be like that. I think he's actually more feeling trepidation.
0: Trepidation. Explain that to me a little bit.
1: Just you know, like Singer approach. It's just like it's almost like a fear. Like, like you know, like oh no, you know, something is. It, I thought this was done. Uh, is it? Am, was I? Was I right? Is there something else happening? You know, like just just this like anxiety from just the unknown. You know, of what this could mean. What what she might be here for. Just all of that. Just
0: trepidation and i'd like to dive into that a little bit so how does Che look back on the events that occurred that involved her in the first arc you um know the-
1: <laughs> that's uh it's complicated <laughs> like she he doesn't understand he doesn't understand her how she is whatever she is you know some sort of like ghost or something he doesn't know he's he's kind of uh he's frightened by it
0: now you had intimate dreams involving her at the time. Did that have any effect on your outlook of her, or like of what you did? Because you all pretty much, in a way, in, in,
1: in okay. So at the time it was he was just like, okay, these are just like you know dreams I'm having, you know. But then like later on, it was like, that's really weird, you know. That's just like, why am I? Ha- why was I having dreams like that? And why? like why it just there's so many questions and so Mm -hmm. it's still like looking back on it not understanding what she is or or anything like that just there's that sense of fears you know so it, it whatever whatever happened before he now looks at her with like a sense of anxiety
0: yeah especially with that kind of like last shared vision you guys had in that weird cellar whatever that was that you were in under the ground where you saw her kind of walk up those stairs into the light you know where that could have been looked at as like everything was concluded at the time. Yeah, and as that's a, what you hope for, <laughs> yeah, that's what you hope for. For real. I understand that. Definitely. So this is mo- you know, while you're looking up and you have that trepidation and you see like that, the bright sun behind her and you're having a hard time making out her features, your eyes snap open and you realize that the sun is being reflected into your eyes and you're kind of discombobulated for a moment and you realize that you're looking, your face is facing window that is in your cabin and that there is light that was being reflected through an icicle and it was kind of shining on your face and your eyes at the moment and you feel yourself slowly waking up in the comfort of your bed that you have within your cabin. Take a moment to explain to to us what the inside of your small cabin would look like for those who have yet to see it.
1: Um, so his, um, it's, it's sparsely decorated. It's not, uh, it's not like a, a place that is full of objects and gadgets and things, you know, some people have like bookshelves full of, full of books and all kinds of knickknacks and stuff. None of that. No, it's just very, it's the opposite. It's, it's just kind of a uh, plain. you know, he, it's practical. He might have, you know, like. The clothes he was wearing last night, just like strewn out on the floor, still, you know, like next to his boots, and and you know, the, there's like a uh, a a coat rack with uh you know a couple of different uh, coats hanging on it. There's um there's a there's a gun rack with a couple of guns, a couple of hunting rifles and a shotgun, you know, just uh, a pistol that is also right next to his bedside, within easy reach, that he can grab. He um he's very um he's very
0: cautious these days. Understandably so. So when you get up in the morning, what's usually your morning routine before you even leave your cab, uh, your cabin? Do you have any kind of routine that you go through and do in the morning? or?
1: No, oh, I mean, I imagine it's the same as anyone else's. He gets up, uses the restroom, washes and cleans and eats something, maybe uh, something light and sets about whatever daily chores he has because you know the lifestyle he's living he has multiple like things he has to do daily upkeep on he might have like outside during like the springtime i have a small garden growing some stuff but uh maybe during winter you know it's hard to get anything to uh to stay growing <laughs> he doesn't have like a greenhouse or anything like that to keep any kind of a uh, year-round garden so um,
0: usually shoveling i'm sure right <laughs> like...
1: yeah and he has you know like he has like a certain amount of firewood that he keeps uh he so that he can uh keep his uh keep his home a little bit warm. So many blankets and things just piled up on his uh on his small bed that uh keep him warm throughout the night. But uh you know, it's a bit chilly. You know, he'd probably wake up and you can see his breath.
0: For sure. And when you wake up and you get out of the warm confines of your bed and you make your way towards your bathroom, you see like on this small, sparse, like little round, like kitchen table that can only really fit two or three people if you tried you see this manila folder for kind of like a case that you've been following a guy on taking pictures on about a a man who owns a local shoe store business and the owner's name is charles buckley he basically his wife has idea that she he was probably cheating on her and so you follow him around a little bit and you kind of got pictures of him meeting this waitress who's about 10 years his junior At a hotel, you kind of snap some pictures. You just kind of see these like little case notes that Michael maybe made in the file there, or someone from the gang made in the file as you walk by. You go relieve yourself in the bathroom, and as you walk back into the kitchen to maybe make some coffee and to start your light breakfast, you're sitting there in the moment looking out the window, and you see like the snow that completely covers the ground out in front of the window, and you see like some trees that have like layers of snow, some pine trees there. You hear this. You hear it for a second, like the sound of an engine, and then you hear this, like this thud, this soft, like thud, but it's definitely like, wasn't like loud to where it would hurt your ears, but it definitely sounds like something outside, maybe like hit a snow drift if you were to guess.
1: Okay. So he, he'll stand, you know, quickly walk over, grab his shotgun and load it.
0: Yeah. You hear the warm sound of two shells as you click it close, that comfort that usually brings you when you have it there.
1: And uh, he's just going to go look, peek out the window, you know, pull the curtain aside a little bit and just see if he can get a clear view of all the snow and ice.
0: So you peek out the window and you can kind of see through the frost. There's like a, your, the inside warmth as you after you put a couple of logs in your wood heater. You see it's kind of like starting to defrost the windows inside a little bit. And you look out and you see this olive green old Ford pickup truck that looked like it ran into a snowdrift on the side of the road that leads up to your cabin. It looked like maybe it fishtailed a little bit and the front end of it hit into the ditch. And you could tell that like, you could see some steam rising from the hood, like maybe some damage was done to the radiator. And you recognize this truck belongs to Brian Eagle. Now you haven't seen Brian Eagle in the last six months. Matter of fact, you haven't seen Brian Eagle since the events of the sweat lodge, where your grandfather Raymond had told you that Brian kind of just after you guys had left that next morning just took off in a fit of anger got in his truck and he hasn't seen him since now you know the standing rock reservation while it's a large area it's a pretty tight-knit small community where rumors and communication kind of travel quickly you heard rumors that brian had been in cannonball now Cannonball's a town that's in the standing rock reservation that's kind of known for its high crime Bad drug use, bad alcoholism that runs rampant through there. There's actually a lot of natives from Standing Rock who won't go into Cannonball just because of like they feel that threatened going in there. It's kind of a harsh, harsh environment of Standing Rock there. You know your grandfather at times has tried to go in there and talk to people and help them deal with their alcoholism and everything, but but unfortunately, uh he hasn't made that much of a dent in there. So But you see this figure, you see the door open up to the passenger side because the passenger side of the truck is facing your window. And you see the door open up and you see this figure stumble out of it. And he like falls on the ground. And you kind of like, there's a moment where you're trying to see if that is Brian. And you realize that it probably is Brian, but his hair has grown where normally he has like very, when you knew him, you kind of had like a fade or like a shortcut haircut. But you see now his his hair kind of goes below his ears now but you see it's like all hanging in his face and everything and you see he has like these jeans on and these these combat boots and he has this od green old army jacket that's over him and you see him just kind of like stumbling like he tries to get up and he slips on the ice and he kind of falls down on his side again and you see like he's like it looks like he's maybe saying something out of anger then you see there's a moment where he gets up for a second and he seems to be stable and then he stops and he just you see him stomach roll a little bit, and you see his back roll out, and he just pukes like on in front of him on the road. And you see the steam coming up from the puke because of how hot it is hitting the road. And you see a moment where he's sitting there for a little bit, like staggering, and then he just starts screaming. And you can hear—you can't hear quite what he's saying, but you can hear like muffled, like "Get out of here, motherfucker!" And you you just see him stumbling for a second, like he can't walk, and he like takes a couple steps back and leans against the side of the bed of his truck as he's just like looking at your cabin and you just hear him screaming nonsense, but you can't really make it out.
1: I think I'm going to let him suffer. I'm just going to kind of watch him through the window for a bit. Yeah, what he does. Like if he comes beating on my door, we might have an issue because he's clearly, he's obviously drunk (laughs) and I ain't about that.
2: I'm I'm not,
1: I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get into like fights with a, with a drunk, like first thing in the morning. That's not, that's not on my agenda here
0: for sure yeah definitely you see a moment where like he leans against the like he's leaning against the passenger side bed of his truck and he like kind of turns back to where his door's at and you see him reach inside and then you see him pull out like it looks like a fifth of something you can't quite make sure what it is you see him like kind of like try to focus on the bottle as he's trying to unscrew it and he goes and he like tries to take a couple swigs and then he like closes it and you see him like like determined like he like you see him look at the road for a second like he's determined and he just like slowly starts like walking towards the little walkway that leads up to your cabin he's about 20 feet away from it and you see there's a couple times where he slips and he stops for a second and then you see where he gets to the walkway where you have thrown on salt for when you walk on there so the ice will melt on there and you can have some traction and he gets to the to the walkway gets up to your steps and there's just a moment where like he like like tries to knock hard on your door you can hear that it's very like light because he can't focus too much and then you see him just like for a second he's just stands there and he's like wobbling a little bit and then he just turns around and he sits on your steps and he like faces away from your house and he just like opens up the bottle again and takes a swig and just puts his elbows on his knees and just puts his one of his forehead in one of his hands that's not holding the bottle and just kind of like you see him sobbing a little bit as he's like okay. looking at the ground
1: i uh i have a I've... I'm going to do something. I'm going to like when he gets to the door and I see him just kind of stumbling around and he's not coming of beating on my door and all that. Yeah, I, I, I do soften up a bit. You know, I thought didn't know how he was coming at me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go set the gun down. OK, I'm going to go with that coffee that I brewed. I'm going to I'm going to get two cups of coffee. I'm going to bring one out to him. So I'm going to open up the door and just kind of like, you know, backing out of the door and just turn around. You know, he might be turning to see me coming out and just how does he react as I'm coming out the door with coffee?
0: Yeah, when you open the door and you step out with coffee, he, like, slowly, like, looks up at you, and he looks like a hot mess. Like, you see that he's probably lost. He's lost some weight. You can't, like, you can't guess how much, but you wouldn't be surprised if it's been, like, 10 or 15 pounds. His face looks kind of, like, more gaunt, but has a weird, like, jaundiced look to it. His skin looks a little yellowish, and his eyes look bloodshot, and you can see he's, like, looking up at you. And he's, it takes him a little bit to focus. And then he just like reaches his hand out. Like he wants to take one of the coffees.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I was, I was going to be handing
0: it to him. Okay. And he takes the coffee for a second and then he just like stares in it. And you, you, he's like, when he's looking down at his coffee, you can tell like, he's like trying to focus. Like he's, he's drunk, you know, like he's oh, definitely, God. yeah. And he sees a second where he like tries to, he takes like a little sit and it's a little hot and you see him back up for a second. Then slowly like he blows on it. You see him look up at you like it's you're still looking down on him with your cup.
1: Well, I imagine I like to imagine that I have like a couple of like maybe like a wooden bench and or and like a rocking chair on the on the like little area in front, you know. Okay. And so like I like to imagine like maybe he's he's he might have like collapsed to the ground or whatever. And I'll just kind of sit down on the bench and just like look down at him, you know, Yeah. just kind of like, you know, trying to be, you know, that relaxed body language and take a sip of my coffee and just be like morning.
0: Thanks. And he just kind of, like, sips another cup, a sip of the coffee. And he looks up at you, and he's like, why the f-? And you see him close his eyes for a second. And you see him, like, just try to focus. And he opens his eyes again, and he looks up at you. And he's like, why did she show herself to you motherfuckers? And I'm the one who spent all the fucking time looking for her. And she never showed herself. And you see him for a second, take a deep breath. He's like, once- at all to me at all hmm and you see him like look up at you and you see his eyes are starting to get watered what I'm makes dad. you so fucking special hmm
1: i'm going to reach out and just kind
0: of pat him on the shoulder and you see what am going to do yeah and he's just like i fucking hate you i hated all of you motherfuckers she chose you all before me and i'm her fucking family what makes you so fucking special why am I the fucking right here like this right now, and he just turns and he looks at back in the coffee cup and you see him like heaving like and he just there's a second where like you're looking at him and you see the heaving stop for a second, and he has like his elbows you know again, and he has like set the coffee cup down between his feet next to the bottle, which you see now is Jim Beam, and you see him like put his face in his hands, and you're patiently sitting there, then slowly you start hearing.
1: <laughs> Fuck. okay all right so uh when she starts snoring i'm gonna stand up and like i guess you know coffee's quickly cooling you know in this this oh yeah so it's really
0: cold it. yeah i'll
1: start trying to uh drink it down i'll go back inside quietly and what i'm gonna try and do cause i don't i don't have a phone but there's a payphone down at the corner store that i can okay. walk down there give a give somebody a call i don't know maybe i'll call um an officer to come pick him up or shoot. I don't even know what, what do you do in this situation? I don't know who to, his family is, you know, like only I know only family of his I know of is dead. Like, <laughs> I don't know who to call. Like, I guess I can call like uh, my grandpa or something. Yeah. I mean, uh, Raymond had a relationship
0: start. with them. Yeah. That'd be a good start. I would think. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. That's what I'll do. That's mm-hmm. yeah. That's, that's what's on my mind. I don't have a phone. I'm going to have to walk to a pay phone mm-hmm. and use that. And just like explain the whole situation, so that's what I'm doing. I'm getting up. I'm going back inside, grabbing my jacket, put putting on my boots. What are you gonna right do? Now with I just them? got like my woolen socks. I'm gonna leave him right there. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna lock the door behind me too. He's not going to my house.
0: <laughs> nice. All right. For sure. So you bundle up. And you start walking down the road and you feel the crunch of the snow and the gravel as you walk past his truck. And you look at his truck and you see that the front end's a little bashed in, but you think maybe it's a little drivable still. And as you walk by, you actually, the door's still open. You kind of like look in the, through the passenger door and you see like the, the, where your foot goes in the, or excuse me, you look through the driver's side door and you see on the passenger side, just like empty bottles of random like liquor that are in there and you see that crushed like packs of cigarettes and stuff like that
1: well <clears throat> make sure his keys aren't in the ignition
0: yeah they are but you can i'm gonna like, take them out okay i'm yeah, not you, i'm
1: not letting him drive away either
0: for sure so you continue your walk and you walk about a half a mile and you get to the like this little convenience store that's on the in fort yates there and you see oh, that
1: oh can i can i say that i maybe like grabbed like a blanket and put it over him as i walked away
0: yeah, that's I would think that's a good move there for sure. Yeah, definitely. Cause it's, it's cold. It's and... cold. It's February North Dakota right now, so it's like definitely like below, so, you know what I mean? And so like, I mean, he's warm right now. He has a lot of alcohol in him, but you definitely wrap this blanket around him and he's still snoring there, you know? Yeah, but I'm not
1: him. bringing him in my house.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's a smart move, yeah, for sure. And so then um you walk down and you get to this convenience store where there's a 18T payphone and you know your grandfather's phone number by memory now as I mean, you...
1: everybody knows their phone numbers by memory in this like
0: in this day and age yeah sure so then you dial the familiar numbers to your grandfather after you put in a quarter and you hear his voice come through and you hear hello grandpa yes yay hey. how's it going there chayton
1: uh uh it's a weird morning so i I need you to uh come by my place Everything okay can. i I don't know uh Brian Eagle, he uh showed up drunk at my doorstep.
0: Oh, god! He's damn.
1: uh he's not in a right state. Uh, crashed, uh, slid into a pole. But I think something, maybe busted his radiator or something. He's uh he's out of it, passed out in the cold. How's he look? Um, like he hasn't been eaten.
0: Jeez, oh, poor kid. All right, I'll be there. Now give me like twenty minutes, okay? I'll be there. I'll I'll let him sober it up at the, at my house, okay?
1: Yeah, I'll see if I can get him inside.
0: All right. Well, don't, you don't if he's acting violent or whatever, don't don't even if he's out, I, I, I'll be there soon. Don't worry about getting him out. just make, try to keep him as warm as you can if you want to. It's your call, though. I don't want well, you I'm to not put, gonna let him suffer. You oh, oh, got me better than that. Oh, well, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> and he just smiles. He's like, all right, I'll be there. Um, hopefully, this is the first step of getting him back on the right track. I've been hearing some been hearing he's been a hot mess over there in cannonball, you know? So I don't know. Hopefully, there's a coming back from this. We'll see. And he's just kind I of here. Ain't a big grandpa. All right. And he hangs up. And you go slowly walking back up as you see your breath come out as you walk back over to your cabin. And as you're kind of like, there's a, like kind of a curve on the road, and then you see where what probably happened was that he was trying to turn the left curve to go up in front of your cabin, and he didn't, and he he hit the snow drift that was pretty because there's huge snow drifts that are on the side that you know from plowing and everything that are about six, seven feet high on both sides of the road. So you slowly oh, he just hit a snow drift. Okay. Yeah. He just hit a snow drift. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, not as bad, but yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Still not good. <laughs> yeah. And so you walk around the curve and you see the silhouette of the figure still as it was with the blanket over and then you get up to the front steps. What are you doing?
1: I'll kind of try and shake him awake.
0: There's a moment where you shake him and you see like he kind of loses the stability of holding his head up and he kind of like snaps him conscious a little bit and he just kind of like looks up at you like confused for a little bit
1: like, come on come inside it's warm
0: <clears throat> and he just kind of like sticks his hand out like he needs you to help him up yeah i'll help him up all uh, right and you see like you help him up he starts the blanket around him and as you like get like pull him up and you get him like you know he kind of leans into you a little bit you just smell like the overbearing smell of like body odor and like his breath like he hasn't brushed his teeth in a while and you can smell the hot fumes of the gym beam that kind of the bottle fault fell, fell over on the steps it didn't spill because the top was on and uh as you like help them up towards the front door of your cabin and you unlock it and you bring them in and you have like this i imagine you have like a rocking chair that's in there maybe the the rocking
1: chair is actually just on the porch now i have a like a like a one of them like like recliners you know and then like a small like two-seater like love seat style couch Mm -hmm. and that's about like the only uh like seating you know, really besides the, the little small dining table that he would have mm. and just kind of put him over into the recliner, you know, just mm-hmm. set him in. I'm not going to recline it or anything. Just set him back in it.
0: All right. And he, you kind of set him into it and he right away, just goes back to sleep while he's sitting in there and you just hear this kind of gentle snoring coming from him. And about 15 minutes after that, you hear the <laughs> creak on your porch front steps and you kind of look through your window and you see the familiar silhouette of your grandfather. Raymond, as he, oh, he like
1: helped up, man, I would I thought I would have heard the car.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you probably heard the probably heard the truck. I forgot. Like, it's the road that's close to it. But yeah, you hear the engine of his truck and you come up and you hear it get turned off. You even you at, at this point, you've heard the sound of like his door close and him get out so much that it's a familiar sound. Then you hear the creak of the steps and you hear uh, a knock on the door uh, from your grandfather.
1: I will be answering this with coffee as well.
0: Uh-huh. And you open the door and he kind of smiles at you and takes a cup of coffee and he walks in now your grandfather's kind of he's smaller than you and he's kind of slender he's about five foot seven five foot eight and about 120, hundred and twenty hundred thirty pounds He's not like a big imposing guy but he has one of those people whose personalities are big so they like they kind of have a command presence in a room oftentimes when they walk in there and you see him look up to you and, he, and then he looks down at Brian and just shakes his head and he's like shit he's out for the count honey huh? just like you both are just standing and looking down at Brian as he's like in this chair drinking coffee. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think he is.
0: Well that's a good sign he came to you. I'm not gonna lie about that, Che. did he say why he came to you at all?
1: Uh he was going on about his sister.
0: No. Yeah. You know, it's really kinda crazy how much how much a sense of drive and determination can affect someone when it doesn't work out their way. I mean he barely knew his sister. He was so young, you know, when she was taken and but it had such a huge impact on his life. I think more, if anything, the impact was that he couldn't do anything to prevent it or he can't find couldn't find out what happened to her and the effect that it had on his mother. But it was like this we you know, like every time I talked to this kid, he'd always beat himself up for something he couldn't control and he just like looks up at you and he looks down at him and look look where it's gotten him now, you know? Like no matter how much I've tried to talk to this kid, and I really thought that the lodge session would help him like it helped you and your friends, but I don't know. I feel like I failed here. But maybe this is a second chance, you know, to fix this kid. He looks up at you and he's like, well, how's, uh, how's that endeavor going with you and your pals?
1: Well, it's something. It keeps me busy.
0: You enjoying it better than the Heritage Center work?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, time I can spend on my own, which is a lot better.
0: Reflection's good. Reflection's a lot. Of, something that a lot of people are starting to forget now with uh, television and all the distractions that all provides. I'll I'll kind of
1: wave a hand around gesturing, like gesturing at the distinct lack of like Mm -hmm. any kind of distractions and television and everything.
0: Yeah. And he looks at He's looking around. It's commendable. Then he looks back up at you and he's like, before I take him out of here, how are you doing? He,
1: uh, he'll kind of make a face, you know, like, uh, like pursed lips, you know, just kind of like, like, like eyes kind of narrowing, just kind of thinking before responding, you know, Mm -hmm. he
0: takes a moment and he's just, I don't know. You know that buddy of yours, Wayne. I don't know if he's told you or not, but uh, him and I have been doing a lot of talking lately. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. That's good. Yeah. I get my the hair is he
1: needs uh, needs a little guidance.
0: Yeah. My uh my hair's better than his, but I'm sure he would debate that if he was here in front of us right now. <laughs> here, here's the thing. I get the sense from him that he's a healer too, and I don't mean that in any kind of like he waves his hands in the air, you know. Has good intentions. I kind of think that we all have our roles in life. And he's like, "I'm gonna be honest, Che." And he looks down at Brian and looks up at you. He's like, "I'm starting to see some similarities." What with this? I mean, not with the hot mess he is, but with. And he looks up at you. That look you gave me when I ask how you're doing.
1: I'm keeping myself occupied.
0: Hmm. i looked... figuring it out. He he's turns.
1: Not even close to that.
0: He turns around and he looks out the window while he's holding the cup of coffee, and he's like, "You know." I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't because of your grandma. I know I don't need to say this, but you probably know she's a pretty damn good woman, right? And you see him for a second. He looks up at you. He's like, I usually don't have a hard time talking to people, but it's really hard when someone close to you. I went through the same shit that he went through that I think you're going through. When I came back from the war, I do not know what to do with myself. And I kind of went down the same road as this kid. And you're like, not Storbs, Brian. But your mom or your grandmother was there for me. She pulled me by the bootstraps and... Got me on the right path, and the rest is history. I was like, I worry about you, Che. You're like my son. I know you're my grandson, but you, you're like my son. I never had a son. I remember when you were born, and your mom let me hold you for the first time. I felt a connection with you. I want to see you succeed, but I see you get consumed sometimes, Che. I see you get angry. I've seen that in you for a long time. You had a fucking shitty father, and your mother. Well, she's my daughter, but I'll tell you the truth too. She was kind of a she, she was a piece of work herself, right? There's nothing your grandmother and I couldn't do with that one. We tried. And I understand that sometimes life takes a couple licks on some of us more than others. I just don't want to see you be consumed by that. You understand?
1: I'll give him a smile and just be like, you worry too, mo- oh, too much, old man. <laughs> just kind of pat him on the back. Let's get him out of here. Come on.
0: Yeah, let's do that. Since I'm an old man, you can carry his drunk ass to my truck. I'll make sure to open the door for you, all right? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes and he opens the... Front door as you are uh, kind of like pulling Brian along. Brian's able to walk a little bit, but you're definitely like he's leaning on you as you get him into the back of your not like the back back, the not the bed of your grandfather's truck, but like the back seat where he can be laid out. And he gets in and he's like starts the truck and he rolls down the window and he looks down at you and he's like, come by for dinner sometime. I'm tired of your grandma asking about why you aren't coming by. All right.
1: All right. I'll I'll try and stop by.
0: Yeah, you do that. All right. And he kind of like starts up the truck and he smiles at you and he nods and he turns hey, around. Uh,
1: tell him. Yeah. I'll kind of jingle the keys. Mm. Tell him uh, this will be here.
0: Oh, nice. I'll yeah. uh,
1: park it around the side.
0: All right. And he kind of like turns and turns the truck and drives down the road that he came from. You're going to take the truck and park it in the back and everything?
1: I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna spend my morning getting <laughs> this thing out of being stuck. If I need to.
0: All right. I'm. I want to see some interesting thing here, real quick. Oh, Che, let's have you roll a uh, wits, and you don't have drive, so we'll just have you roll a wits, and I'll have you roll just a regular difficulty on that. I just want to see what you get for that. Okay. So I get minus one dice because I'm not skilled in drive. One success. All right. So you're able to like. Start it up and, and you get it and you shift it into gear because that's one of those old shifters, you know, that are actually up high. You shift it and you get it out of the ditch and or out of the stuck from the snow drip. and you back it up and you kind of drive it to the side of your cabin. It takes you about an hour to do that. You know that your plan was to be around the office around noon of today to meet up with the gang and kind of talk about whatever things that you guys are working on. It's a Monday morning right now and by the time you get it parked to the side it's about like still only like nine in the morning
2: oh hello again folks i'd like to tell you about the facebook group we run called white wolf and onyx path rpgs gameplay and media have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded one that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions so that your media could give the attention you deserve the group is specifically run with the sole intent of it being a one stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love we take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.